Bizzle. We call the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, Bizzle casters. Welcome to some more X Men coverage and commentary here at the Bizzle Cast in preparation for uh, my X Men extravaganza with my buddy Reinhardt, which was great and people seem to be enjoying. Um, I knew pretty certainly I was going to do a commentary for Logan, which I've been putting off for a while, and I knew I was going to rewatch X Men Apocalypse, and I really liked it in the theater. I only saw it once. There was major superhero fatigue that year because of BVS, Civil War, and then Apocalypse within a few months. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was even exhausted, even though I liked it a lot. My dad liked it a lot. I did a great, very positive podcast review with him about it. It was one of our longest uh, movie podcasts we've, um, we've ever done. Um, and uh, But I just never saw it again. I, I wanted to sit on it. I think I let the negativity mixed with the exhaustion kind of get to me. Um, and I figured I'd get back to it down the road. And as expected, as happens with good comic book movies, but especially with X-Men movies, I always end up liking them more and more over time for the most part. I mean, X-Men, Last Stand, and the first Wolverine movie, Origins, were awful. But other than that, they mostly get better over time. Um, and the new ones are aging even better than the old ones. And while the original cast is classic, and X-1 and X-2 are classic, and their contributions in um, you know Days of Future Past were great, it was the new cast that really made Days of Future Past and the handoff that happened there. And assuming they can nail Phoenix, and I think Apocalypse is aging well, I know a lot of people, including Reinhardt, who have Apocalypse pretty high on their list, higher than I would have expected. So... I figured I'd do a commentary for it and get it out while I have all this X-Men covered. So, hope you guys are enjoying being bombarded. Um, I'll get back to Star Wars soon, although I have a lot of non-Star Wars stuff coming up, too. Just to tease, uh, in addition to Lorecast Podcast, talking about new Star Wars developments with Jedi Geek Girl, like the Clone Wars coming back, like the Jon Favreau Game of Thrones-level epic TV a Star Wars series that takes place after Return of the Jedi, which I'm very excited about. Um, also going to be doing uh, uh, Doctor Who uh, lead-up in the fall with Jedi Geeker, who's a massive Doctor Who fan. I'm, you know, never really gotten into it, but I'm very excited about the casting of Jodie Whittaker and just sort of the new, more grounded look uh, that they seem to be doing. Um, and uh, I'm going to continue with Simi and some of my other podcasters to do, you know, other genre movies. We've done V for Vendetta. We did Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban, which is one of my favorite movies as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to start even getting some non-genre movies in, but we will see how it goes. But lots of great programming coming up for you in the next few months and there's some great indie movies coming out i'll save that for now and i want you to enjoy apocalypse don't forget to check me out bizzlecast online on all social media and of course my lorecast um project um presented by the bizzlecast but co-partnered with jedi geek girl as well you can check that in the copy and it's time to watch x-men apocalypse i had a blast doing this commentary and i'm going to jump us right into the countdown so cue up your dvds blu-rays digital files to zero hours zero minutes zero seconds i am going to count from three to two to one i'm going to say the word go when i say go you should hit play it'll line up perfectly uh leave it up to you about subtitles and how much sound uh you want to put on i like a little bit of ambient sound definitely get the subtitles um but that is your call as always so hope you enjoy it and i'm going to take us right into the countdown so pause if you need a moment and here we go three two one go all right, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, welcome to my commentary for X-Men Apocalypse, a very underrated movie that I rewatched recently for numerous reasons, which I will get into soon. And uh, I love X-Men. I've done commentary for pretty much all the good X-Men movies, including uh, X-Men, X-Men 2, First Class, 
and the Wolverine haven't released any of them. I did release Days of Future Past. I just released a Logan, and I did a great uh, X-Men nerdy deep dive with my buddy Ryan Hart, a topic I've been wanting to do for a while, and a guest I've been wanting to have on for a while, and it's great, and we're going to do a whole bunch more. Um, and uh, listening back to my unreleased X-Men commentaries, I like them a lot, but this is the most recent one, uh, and uh, Disney just finally confirmed that you know they're releasing it and going full steam ahead with Dark Phoenix in February, which people aren't giving a chance um, because they're cynical assholes and negative Nancys. Um, maybe we'll go more into that. And so, yeah, here we go. Charles, this isn't the final because the the, tr- the sort of singer trilogy that is future past this and then dark phoenix but the beginning and the end is almost direct quotes from uh professor x from earlier movies like from the beginning and the end of course he talks to eric about eric asks him well what if they come after you and charles says you know i really feel really bad for the the people who try essentially and uh you know it's it's mirroring but because the past has been in future have both been reset um everyone's ahead of schedule and even Magneto may be becoming a good, semi-good guy by the end of this. After his regret that we see as old Magneto in future past, you know, maybe he's ahead of schedule too. Mystique's definitely ahead of schedule. She seems to be a full-on good guy. So, characters taking a different direction. So, okay. We were teased that this was going to be a version of Apocalypse, who was worshipped as an ancient god in Egypt, betrayed by some of his people, and then came back in the modern age. And he's the one that really, in addition to being a big blue, crazy superpower dude, who is one of the weak points of the movie, though I love uh, Oscar Isaac, and it looks fine, but it's just not what I remember from the comics. Part of that's because it was based on comics I wasn't reading and earlier portrayals of Apocalypse, but him being Sabah Anor, whatever they call him, right? we already see the conspirators looking at each other during this transfer of power from the previous, you know, god, king, lord. Um, the Apocalypse story in general takes way too long to get going. Not this, which is beautiful with costumes, the way it's filmed, the music, and then, of course, transitioning directly into the best X-Men Matrix Code deep dive we've seen to date. But Apocalypse Gathering and Mind Controlling all... right. This is what Apocalypse is supposed to look like, gray and kind of craggly. The blue version they do with Oscar Isaac, I get why, because that's what we saw in the cartoon in the comics, but the, the, the pale gray is actually what Apocalypse is supposed to look like. Whatever. So this stuff is great, but again, the fact that Storm, Psylocke, and then ultimately like even Magneto and Angel, uh, Archangel, I should say, are, end up being controlled through the movies. There's just a long recruitment process. It's very dire. The only jokes come in short X-Mansion scenes, and then the whole middle of the movie as they're establishing you know, Cyclops and the new X-Men, Sophie Turner and the new Nightcrawler is great and then we get the weapon x scene with wolverine cameo which is amazing and then the final battle which at the time seemed less impressive than civil war or maybe even that movie superman on the surface but in retrospect it's just because this was the third movie of good guys punching each other for a long time at the end in a dark scenario but this one's actually the most beautiful in terms of the emotional choreography of what's going on in narrative um and i think i've been saying since i started doing commentaries for both the marvel cinematic universe movies and x-men movies old and new that ever since the 2000 x-men the brian singer fox simon kimber 
Berg, X-Men Brain Trust have just done special effects better. And as Reinhardt pointed out in our podcast, even stuff like this where it's so magical and over the top, it just has a tactile, real view to it. Um, this, of course, resonates with lots of myths about you know the Egyptians having a connection to interstellar activities, aliens, building the pyramids, and of course, more directly in pop culture, Stargate. Uh, this feels like this could be straight out of something we'd see in Stargate. In fact, some of the characters, like this guy here, you know, sort of the stock Arab characters, even look in the way they build the lighting in the temple and so forth. Looks a little bit like the temple in uh, in Stargate, which I love. The original movie, that is, and of course, SGU. Just checking if I'm lined up. Lined up, full HD, boom. So I was just going to rent this. I was maybe going to do the commentary, but I liked it so much, and I want to see Brian Singer's commentary, so I got the DVD for like 8 bucks on Amazon, Blu-ray. As usual, my air conditioning is on. If you hear a little hum, it's kind of relaxing. So not only is this a great epic opening scene, sort of like what we see in Wonder Woman, and we'll probably see with Aquaman, Aquaman and connecting real human myths and legends with modern superheroes is always great. Um, but the speed with which this moves, the conversion to Oscar Isaac, the burying, the four horsemen losing, the betrayal... I was going to say was the interesting part they didn't explore enough. Moira talks about with James early on is we thought the mutants were post nuclear, you know, creations, but we know Wolverine was way before the nuclear age. So they should have already been suspicious. So I guess they don't know Wolverine well in this timeline at this point, but the fact that apocalypse was a mutant 4,000 years ago means either they don't understand mutancy. There's been numerous periods of mutancy. Like if aliens and high technology are involved, maybe there is nuclear radiation going on here, or we need to redefine what is to be a mutant and whether different classes of mutants or whether he's just displays a lot of mutant characteristics, but is really just a God. And I think they should have explored that more. There should have been more philosophical lore talk, not just because that's what the Bizzle loves, but because it would have been more interesting than the worst part of the movie, which is the Magneto sob story. Not because it's not well acted and produced, but because after so many Holocaust uh, revisitations with him and his constant betrayal by horrible humans like Stryker, we didn't need it whatsoever. And so I haven't decided when we get there whether I'm going to talk about it. I'll probably use that to talk bigger picture stuff because that does happen right before things really pick up. Oh, and of course, the Evan Peters scene in the mansion, of course. Quicksilver, everybody loves him. Here we go, baby. Woo! The X-Men music's still the best. This intro, they did this before The Matrix in 2000. I mean, The Matrix has something somewhat low-key like this in 99, but I think they're already going to do something like this. It's way better, and all of them are better than The Matrix Code once for obvious reasons. Now they're going through history. Yeah, it was steampunk, the early industrial age, World War One, World War Two. Oh, God, I'm turning this up. The X-Men, I'm going to sing along when the X-Men music comes on. God bless. Rest in peace. da 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 and always usually ends up in cerebro i think yeah 
Every single Brian Singer movie. I'm glad Simon Kimber's taking over. I don't buy the slandering of Brian Singer. I have no evidence. Um, all right, here's the history lesson. So I think the reason, you know, with all these movies, you have to do a little exposition about the movies that came before and a little world building that might seem repetitive or redundant to those of us who, you know, are more familiar with what's been going on. Um, uh, right. This is great because this is the first time since I think X1 with with Rogue almost killing her boyfriend by kissing him with the mutant powers that we see this the teenage X-Men mutant power is how scary it is for it to suddenly come not understand it think you're going to hurt people think you're going to die hurt yourself and so I was actually okay if they did this every movie at the beginning it would definitely become repetitive but since it's been a while and since he's Scott Summers Cyclops the leader of X-Men X-Factor X-Force at different points uh, you know the the cocky boy scout who you love anyways and the future love of Jean Grey um he's the perfect guy to do it and because Rogue is actually both the emotional and narrative heart I mean he's the main plot heart and narrative arc you know and, and, but Rogue's in the middle of everything in the first movie in particular and so she was the perfect one and while he actually has less of a role as young Scott Summers because there's so many other X-Men and many of them are more powerful developed older and senior and so forth experienced uh, again he is Cyclops so it's important I haven't even kicked your ass yet. This guy's going to get a blast head. Here it comes. Stress adolescence. Boom. The thing is, they haven't improved this technology much since 2003 with X2. And that's just because it was perfect then. And it's perfect now. It looks awesome you're not going to get it to look real because we there's no such thing as real with this. So just make it look cool, dynamic and make the destruction perfectly, uh, you know, like the physics work out, so to speak. And they do it. Oh baby. Jayla with eighties hair and eighties outfits. She's still trying to save mutants. What she was trying to do in future past, she was going to kill, um, not Nixon, but uh, Dinklage's character, which you could almost understand. Magneto was going to kill everybody that he thought was involved. You know, ultimately they stop Magneto and he runs away. She decides not to go through with it, but she's still doing her mutant rescue, which I think is great. Um, it was important that if we're going to make Mystique a good guy and a leader of the good X-Men, which happens by the end of this movie, um, which doesn't, by the way, foreclose the notion that she could go bad again in the future. But at the end of this movie, she's training soldiers, uh, as she says, and they need her to because Charles is finally getting the point after the last two or three, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s international incidents where both mutants and Cupid trying to kill the mutants. So he needs Mystique. She plays as Jennifer Lawrence until the final battle. And then by the end, she's embraced the blue form like Beast, which is fantastic. Because remember, Rebecca Romaine only looked like Rebecca Romaine when they needed to, she needed to like seduce someone or get in somewhere. God. Here's the thing. I talk about like American Hustle, which was, you know, I love David O. Russell. I love the actors he works with over and over again. Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, etc. I did not like American Hustle at all. I get what he was trying to do. It was just too campy and trying too hard to be, you know, 
deeper than it was a time period whatever but we got to see jennifer lords with all sorts of fancy outfits from the 50s and 60s or whatever it was great and so with each of these time periods has been getting better in the 70s but they really go to make her look like you know a female rock star in the 80s she has so many roles where she's so overly emotional uh this she's so relaxed in this movie and people who say she mailed it in just don't understand the performance of the character i mean mystique in x1 and x2 with Rebecca romaine was way more cold-blooded and cold people you know people complain about her being not blue but in the important parts of the movie she's blue so the the angels you know archangel uh Warren or whatever his name is that they introduce uh, Warren Worthington they introduce in um, uh, X3 which was terrible although the beginning wasn't bad with some new mutant introductions in the politics that just the final battle was ridiculous they killed the wrong people it was horribly staged even though it looked good um, that Warren Worthington was great and underused but it's the most memorable scene the two most memorable really the only major memorable scenes in last stand for me <clears throat> well okay one is beast being a politician which is great kelsey grammar two is of course is you know angel's wings popping out for the first time and him bleeding all over the place and finally having to admit it to maybe it wasn't the first time admit it to his his dad and run away you know that's that's the scary transformation there here's a new nightcrawler this guy is great i forget what his name is off the top of my head let me see if i can see amazon is great because it gives you uh oh yeah cody mick feely cody mcteague something like that um he's great as a new nightcrawler uh of course alan cumming was amazing in x2 especially with his relationship with halle berry his christianity and so forth okay thus begins the beginning of the magneto sob story that we don't need he's trying to hide He's in Eastern Europe, which makes no sense because Eastern Europe has remained hostile towards Jews even after World War II. And this makes no sense in terms of where he seemed to be at the end of future past. It seemed he'd be trying to do evil more. I mean, the idea is he met a woman who I guess was Eastern European and that's why they're settling down here ultimately. And part of him, you know, this is still his home. He did grow up in Germany or Austria or Poland. Um, I can't remember. He was, you know, he was in Auschwitz. So probably Poland, Russia. Um, I think this was more about showing him being able to be happy for the first time. And if they didn't come after him, he would just fade into oblivion and he doesn't seem like this is forced he truly loves her and especially his daughter and he's smiling we never see it's not the evil fastbender smile it's a really warm smile he's great with her great with the wife but but the murder of the two of them okay i'm gonna we'll, we'll get there this is a traditional yiddish jewish tune and the fact that this, you know, white boy Irish actor has fully embodied, like Ian McKellen, has fully embodied the Holocaust and Jewish heritage of the character is, you know, earns my undying respect, loyalty, and love to both the writers, the original writers of the X-Men, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, etc., 
and the portrayal in the movies. I mean, the scene in first class where Charles reads his happiest memory and it's just him having a normal Sabbath with his parents before the Holocaust and James McAvoy's Professor X starts crying and he's crying as one of the great all-time movie scenes. That's the thing. The best parts of the X-Men movies and the best scenes in the X-Men movies, like him and James on the plane going at each other and Days of Future Past when they're trying to get along, um, are, are like Oscar worthy. There's very, even though Black Panther might win the new like popular movie Oscar and it deserves to and Wonder Woman was great and Logan maybe should have been nominated at least. Logan definitely should have been nominated. <clears throat> you guys check out my, my commentary. That being said, there are a number of Oscar worthy scenes across the X-Men movies, even the not great ones like the so-so ones like the Wolverine that really deserve it. So this was great. We knew Lucas Till was going to be in it. He's not a high profile actor. He's a little bit limited in range, but he's like Bobby, um, whose name I always forget, Iceman, you know, or Pyro. They find these young, good looking, charismatic male actors that can do two or three things really well, but are mostly just laid back and comfortable. And Brian Singer and the Brain Trust is part of that, but obviously all these great actors who embrace them and create a warm, uh, generous environment help as well. Whoop. Sophie Turner. So the only knock on Sophie Turner in this movie is there's a cheesy bedroom dream scene, which they showed in the trailer, which turned a lot of people off. That's also her worst English performance. It's a little weak early. It gets better as it goes along, but her, her worst bit they showed in the trailer, you know, with very corny lines that we'll see coming up where James McAvoy says, it's just a dream. No, it's not just a dream. But Jessica Chastain, Public, basically openly took her under her wing as a as a much older redhead you know academy award-winning actress loves sophie turner wants sophie turner to play her in her own biopic uh and really mentored sophie probably helped her with her english accent but her acting chops are great because she is one of the most pathetically in my opinion and underwritten characters in game of thrones she's constantly a victim and constantly being tortured raped and thrown around and she's great she she overwhelms and overrides all the problems. Here's James. He's calm and confident again since the 70s. He's teaching where he loves to be. And it's dry, but look at the way he turns around. The students are so eager. This is the Patrick Stewart we see in the first couple X-Men movies. It's great. And that's why he doesn't want to go to war. They only go to war because he gets kidnapped, men, you know, psychologically. Top marks. Yeah. So anyways, it was great to work Havoc in because he is Scott Summer's brother. They were definitely seeding that with his introduction in first class. There you go. It's interesting to think whether Professor X is reading his mind. Um, my guess is he's probing mildly to see the kid's anguish, but he's not like reading all the details. Oh my God, Sansa Stark with a bow and arrow. I love it. You know, one of the things that if you guys follow me, you know, is that... I. I've always identified with redheads, men and women, but I, I never used to be attracted to redheaded women because I'm a redhead and, you know, people tend to be attracted to opposites in some ways, looks or otherwise, but everyone from Amy Adams to Jessica Chastain to uh, Christina Hendricks to Sophie Turner, I mean, across the board, there's all these great young, gorgeous, but just super talented female redhead actresses and, you know, Sophie Turner's not normally my type. Whoa! but she's just so cute and pretty and she's really filled out as a woman. I mean, not just physically, but you know, 
in terms of performance, maturity, and just, you know, not looking and sounding like a little girl anymore. And when they make her sound like a little girl in that scene I mentioned that will come up, um, right, this is the whole, that was my favorite tree. Thanks for destroying it. And he thinks it's hilarious. He's just excited to have this kid. And the thing is, it, it it's never because he wants to weaponize them. That's the difference between not only him and Magneto, but him and Mystique and, and Apocalypse and, and even Miss, uh, Magneto, um, uh, Professor X just wants to help these kids and he, the more powerful they are, the more of a challenge it is. Right. And that's what it gets to. So, okay. So thus begins the Egyptian recruitment. Now the four horsemen taking different forms throughout time so, surrounding apocalypse is an ongoing thing. But if you read the reboot of X force and the, in the battle against apocalypse in uh, uncanny X an uncanny X force starting in 2010, written by the great Rick Remander, who does a lot of great image comics. I'm into, I think this is, is this Moira McTaggart uh, undercover? I think it is. That looks like Rose Byrne. God bless her. I wasn't high, super high in Roseburn the first time I saw First Class. And I did the commentary. I liked her more. And more and more I watch it. I love her. I've seen her in other movies. And I found out she's Australian. She seems like a total American chick. I'm impressed. She was a, one of Padme's uh, handmaidens in episode two. She's been in some very funny, like, okay romantic comedies. But she's great in it. And her chemistry with Charles, which really they tease, but you could already see in First Class, is excellent in this. Yeah, there she is. You know, she's a scientist. She's brave and adventurous in the comics, but she's more a scientist. And so it's great to see her pursuing archaeology. The reason she knows about Charles is she's fascinated with mutants, but she's just into evolutionary biology and archaeology and history in general. So we're 20 minutes in, and I haven't had a problem with anything. The problem is... Again, the recruit, the recruitment of the four horsemen. I was going to say Uncanny X Force. When a, a young new baby apocalypse that they're growing, the cult is growing because Apocalypse is dead, so they're growing a new, raising a new apocalypse. Basically, uh, he gets new four four new horsemen with powers, mutant or otherwise, but they still represent death, pestilence, famine, and so forth. Um, keep the religious in biology, but more importantly, give you more horrifying, uh, super powered evil people we've never seen before taking characters. We know, <clears throat> especially ones as powerful as Psylocke and especially storm who are so important. The good guy Psylocke is on that X-Force team. I mentioned, by the way, storm has been on X-Force as well. She's a leader of the X-Men for decades in the comics and on screen. Um, it's just hard to see, but because it's young storm and because, you know, Olivia Munn's not super young, but she's beautiful and mutants live a long time. She's certainly inexperienced and naive. So it makes sense. The ones they chose, but he sh- apocalypse shouldn't have given them like a fake religious, uh, symbiology, you know, symbolism. But again, by the time the expansion gets destroyed and Quicksilver saves almost everyone, uh, as I was saying earlier, Lucas Till was the perfect way to bring in, as Alex Summers, to bring in his brother Scott Summers, a Cyclops, and then he dies. And I believe Havoc died before I started reading X-Men in the early 90s. Here we go. And this is great because now we're getting a plot, like a physical plot-driven version of the X-Men Matrix dive. Yeah, these energies. He's like an alien. He's like Thanos. I think he's an alien. I think he has alien powers. I'll have to do more research on Apocalypse. You know, it's so hard. The X-Men plots are so deep and old and long. It's almost not even worth it. So I'm not going to do much comparison here because... 
look, I will, I will give both Oscar Isaac and the makeup and directorial team this. I totally never think this Oscar Isaac or think about it. The bigger problem is they wait till the very end for him to become huge. And I believe it's only in Charles's head. He should immediately become huge. The four horsemen shouldn't be as important and he shouldn't be screaming the whole time. It should, I, I always imagine apocalypse delivering really evil lines, but in a calm way, which is always scarier. Um, but Oscar Isaac's one of my favorite. He's been nominated uh, Coen brothers movies. He's obviously great as Podammer. And even though the writing has been very uneven for him, I'm hopeful for the future. He is phenomenal. And in a few weeks, as of this recording, he's going to be in what I think is a shoe in for an Oscar nomination, assuming it's good with him and Ben Kingsley, where he's like, a, I think either a U.S. or Israeli Secret Service agent, uh, like a Mossad or CIA agent who brings in Eichmann in the 60s in the Eichmann trial, uh, f- being the, the architect of the final solution and the most senior Nazi officer that's still alive and the still the only person today that Israel has officially, officially executed. I mean, they've killed plenty of Arabs in self-defense or in claim self-defense. Oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> no bra, low-cut, loose shirt. I'm sorry. She is just she's not like it sexy the way like younger scarlett johansson the way she carried herself is you know with that smile but like jennifer lawrence looks like a regular girl you know who just is so comfortable in her body and so active in mind and physicality she's just so appealing j-lo's yeah j-lo's one of those girls i'd love to you know hook up with but also just love to be you know good friends with just bff with j-law j-law give me a call so here's what they, you know, he, I guess they, they noticed something weird happening. And so they start looking into him. They claim he's been a really respected guy for a while. It seems like they've given him more than one chance. I guess it's implied maybe that's happened before. And now they're really getting suspicious. Jesse, that's my name. Oh, this is the dream scene. Yeah. So again, this serves a great plot and character point. And it's cool that Hank looks on. That's a really nice touch that Hank, Charles always wants Hank, if nothing else, just observing and being a witness to the craziness. Hank, look at, look at Nick Holt, who can be so confident and good looking and sexy. You know, he's shy, tentative beast. The walls are burning. I think Dark Phoenix is going to be great. But again, if you don't like the recent X-Men movies, you're sick of them and you prefer Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC stuff, then, you know, Enjoy. I like this darker stuff, even when it doesn't hit. It's deeper. The X-Men powers are cooler. The reason for their existence and for their discrimination and the hatred against them makes more sense. Yeah, this is all great, the way they shoot this. And this is probably the first time since the 70s, you know, breakdown where Wolverine has to snap him back into shape that he's really starting to lose it because of Jean's psychic power. She's advanced too. I mean, Jean Grey in the original movies, only in our timeline in the early 2000s in X1, X2, does she start to really lose it. She sacrifices himself in X3. The other, I was going to say, the third and most memorable scene that they keep using in the Wolverine movies is Wolverine killing Jean Grey because she's going to turn the Dark Phoenix and she begs him to kill her to save her and everybody else. But the timeline's accelerated now. You know, the future past scenario, it just moved everything up. And that's very under the surface. And so what I was going to say was the Eric Lencher, you know, Magneto storyline, I think is supposed to sell to first time watchers. 
you know okay he's a holocaust survivor and he explains it and he's yiddish but we've seen yet another act of senseless hatred and death around him to again turn him to the bad guys I think that was a mistake. I think they should have trusted the audience who came out in droves relatively to see future past and like the original X-Men movies, like this new cast and just had Magneto be evil or at least shorten that story. It's not better accent. It's certainly better than Felicity Jones, my darling. Oh man, Felicity Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I hope you can do it. Australians, as I've said many times and, often on mic have a much easier time with the american accent even if it's not southern they just russell crowe mel gibson kate blanchett rose byrne who's in this i mean there's so many that just nail the american accent margot robbie right it's different this time so this is new it'll be interesting to see how wonder woman handles the 80s compared to this So apocalypse is what's disturbing the force, so to speak. I mean, the psychic powers that pass between Emma Frost and Xavier and Apocalypse and Phantom X, I think, uh, and Psylocke to a lesser degree, and Jean Grey and the other telepaths, it's sort of like the force. And this, you know, again there's a variation of X2 here where Apocalypse tries to use his ability with Cerebro and just in general to reach all humans and control or destroy them. But the same themes recur over and over again in the comic books and even the good new ones. It's just more of the same, but you have to love the characters because the actors are so great and are great with each other. Oh, there's Moira. Look at him. He had to wipe her brain in first class, and they they fix that big time in this movie, but they wait, which is great. They start falling in love with each other again before he reveals the memories, and then she kisses him at the end. Moira. Yeah, see, this is how you do connective tissue. You don't need to have Magneto have a horrifying life scenario again. Whatever. I'll drop it, guys. She looks great, I think was the first thing he said. Oh, man. I love confident, sexy trials. Because Patrick Stewart was totally like that. Patrick Stewart was a sex icon in, in British theater, television, and film for when he was younger. He still looks amazing. Captain Picard, as a, as a bald guy in his fifties, Captain Picard was a, in a you know overblown, overly cheesy but great Star Trek Next Generation. Against all odds, Picard was. Uh, oh, here it is. I guess we're only in a half hour in, and they just get it over with. But I think I think the reason they wanted to do this, I'm assuming Magneto is going to help them against the Dark Phoenix and whatever cosmic stuff is going on with the Dark Phoenix in the third movie. So the notion here is that this should make him irrevocably evil even more than First Class in Days of Future Past, right? But the fact that Apocalypse makes him realize that he's on the wrong side at the end, he's also accelerating, as I mentioned, his move to the good guys. And so... This is less about selling the transformation back to being evil, which is always a threat and happens constantly with Magneto, and more with making it seem really selling 
the significance of him helping the X-Men at the end, but he doesn't help them because of humans. He does help them because they're ultimately his friends, whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. So this is it. I mean, half hour in, this is the weakest part of the movie, and I'm not going to do a play-by-play because there's not much to say. It speaks for itself. It's horrifying. But in addition to setting up Magneto's turn both ways in this film, which I do get what they were going for, um, look, the bottom line is, I saw X-Men when it came out with a bunch of Jewish kids at Summer Camp. We were crying at the first scene with young Eric Lencher's parents in the concentration camp. I thought revisiting it in first class in a more horrifying way was unnecessary. So this, to me, is very unnecessary. But it's assuming you've seen all the X-Men movies and know about the Holocaust and have truly internalized it. And, you know, so that's maybe not the majority of people here. Let's put it this way. The majority of people seeing this movie, and that's probably what they're banking on or, or, or thought would be the case, and they're probably right, don't have both of those things. Strong familiarity with the source material about Magneto in comics and or movies. And... Um strong even more rare at this point is strong knowledge and understanding of the holocaust which you know holocaust deniers are going to have an easier time as time goes on because people's memories are short and generations grow apart and it's so horrifying that people don't want to believe it the setup here is is correct he's just they finally recognized him um and spread the word And he submits to capture, even though he could easily kill them or break the bonds to save them. And it's sort of a convenient, but unfortunate and and tragic MacGuffin or Deus Ex Machina or whatever that they shoot the arrow by accident and it kills both the mother and daughter because the daughter gets angry, which is, you know, again, young mutants blowing up early and unable to control their powers because of anger and fear and all sorts of stuff. And so everything makes sense. It's just a matter of, you know, again, how familiar you are with this character. Maybe you've seen the old movies and you're not too familiar with Michael Fassbender playing this role. I I can see all the reasons. I just felt like in a super long movie, maybe if you had cut back this a little bit and cut back significantly on the Apocalypse Horseman setup, which I'm not going to mention again. Like, basically... I'm still actually okay with this. I think it was after the fact that this felt excessive because I'm so ready to be with the X-Men and get on the journey into the main part of the story. But, you know, as having seen Mission Impossible, which I walked out of, here we go, um, recently, and I saw Ant-Man today, both of my dad. Ant-Man was way better and more fun, but they both shared just action, 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 action. And especially with Ant-Man, it actually would have felt like it would go faster if they slowed it down and add some drama. Even if the runtime was longer, it would feel like it was moving faster. So, you know, I can't complain about the drama here. And, and Fassbender is so great, and all these actors are great. And it reinforces the mutant Jewish connection. You know, and what's brilliant about Magneto is it's not just providing the motivation for his hatred of of people, but it's also not just a symbol. 
of you know mutant discrimination and genocide you know is like a one-to-one parallel with with jewish discrimination anti-jewish discrimination and genocide it's way more complicated and that's why both fassbender and mckellen are fascinating a fassbender is certainly way more interesting and as i keep saying the development of these characters whether good bad or unknown otherwise oh, he's gonna kill all these guys um yeah it's like yandu's arrow um everything's accelerated and so this i think this was supposed to be an intentional misdirection to being like okay there's a direct line from here to the pure evil ian mckellen uh you know 2000 x-men magneto and he's just bitter and trying to kill humans this whole time but as as I said, and as with each rewatching makes more sense, it, it's it's really trying to set up the turn at the end that, you know, it's many years since the Holocaust, and this is the most horrifying thing he's experienced since then, in direct personal way. And so, let's put it this way: this Meganito, especially in the next movie, Oscar Isaac, um, I just never considered Apocalypse ever wanting to hide, be a normal human. I guess he's just trying to figure out the world right now, and that's what's going on. Uh, but to make him like a Cree, it just, you know, whatever. Filming, as always, from Brian Singer is spot on. Every shot is beautiful. The color's great. What X-Men does not get enough credit for is it bridges between the overly colorful Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel stuff, um, and the way, 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 way too dark and overly filtered and washed out blacks and grays and blues of uh the Zack snyder stuff it manages to have very strong saturation of color i mean they're doing major saturation post-production on this to bring out these colors it's very hard to capture this on camera um but everything has a realistic vibe to it she's great alexander ship there was a lot of hype about her as a young actress you know we're gonna see her again for sure as storm you know i i think the notion is it feels like the trajectory is they're going to end this whole X-Men line of the old and recently new X-Men after Dark Phoenix with, you know, mixed reaction to this movie and we'll see what happens to Dark Phoenix. And I think the jury's out for some or most people about the new X-Men, even though I love them. Uh, but the Logan and Deadpool rated our X-Force universe. They have to keep expanding. So maybe they say, we'll go X-Force and we'll reboot X-Men again. But I don't know why you would recast everything. I think what you do is you, you know, Jennifer Lawrence goes away, Magneto goes away, but you keep Professor X and you keep the young X-Men and keep making movies and go into the 90s. I guess in Dark Phoenix, it's the 90s. So yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the end. They've gone 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then it would bring us up to the uh, original cast in X1 and X2 and X3. Like, even in fact, like this, that's like very, like, kind of horror Disney, it just looks better than what we see from Disney Marvel. But I'll leave that up for you to decide. Look at that. <laughs> so he enhances her power, which I think is interesting because even though she, like, everyone turns on him in the end, you know, she's sort of indebted to him. But that's, uh, that's not uncommon. I mean, Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister are constantly fucking with the mutants, the good mutants. F- you know giving them powers for their own purposes taking away powers for their own purposes giving them diseases like mr sinister to cable nathan summers there's reagan to stress that it's 80s 
this is great. The meeting of Moira and she recognizes him, but he thinks the memory trick wore off at first until he realizes that she still would know who he is because she knew who he is on their first meeting 10 years ago or 20 years ago. They, of course, have to joke about how great she still looks. <laughs> Lucas Tell is great as, uh, as Alex Summers. Too bad about the tragic death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's total fangirl. It's my cat in the background, as usual. This is great. <laughs> For the first time. The thing is, his portrayal is totally consistent through the first three James McAvoy, Professor X new movies, but he's totally cocky and overly confident in the first one. Now he's got some of that cockiness and confidence back, but he's way more centered and understands his mission, has control of his mind, other than when Jean Grey's going nuts. Case is always swallowing. Look at him. We got the schizophrenic stuff out in the in the days of future past, and now he's back to thinking about himself and having a life. I was shocked when I found that Rose Byrne was Australian. I mean, it's she sounds more American than Americans. Mm-hmm. So here's the exposition putting together the cult of apocalypse. Um, again, there's a great line coming up here that they used in the trailer, which th- that probably made sense to, to build connective tissue with the story where she talks about how, right. So here's the world's first mutants. They need to evolve till the century. Right. I like how the jury's out. We don't, again, I, I think apocalypse is more than a mutant or something else or something in addition some combination, an alien abomination. Who fucking knows? The Kree thing would make sense, and now they can connect it with Marvel, but now there's no point. Um, but she has this great line where, you know, I think it's Lucas Till, uh, as Alex Summers says, oh, that's straight from, they, they got that from the Bible, meaning the four horsemen, and she says, well, or the Bible got it from them, which would make sense. If it's ancient, ancient, ancient Egypt, it would be, well before the bible was written even in the mythological long time ago that you know the bible supposedly was written in like a thousand bce but it's it was written well later than that even if the stories began then but that was already towards the end of the uh egyptian dynasties of thousands of years it would make total sense especially with the jews being slaves in egypt and of course you know they would if not inherit then at least be exposed to egyptian mythology and history and legends and and, and religion and so forth uh it would make total sense that's the stuff i love about the x-men and uh I might have mentioned this in commentary or we're talking to reinhardt but i, I actually wish there was more history philosophy deep talk in this and cut down on the the recruitment process because the X-Men first class recruitment process is fun, but it also gets kind of old on repeat viewings. Um, now there's of course a recruitment process in all the movies and in future past, you know, they have to get, um, Quicksilver so he can get Magneto, but both of those are extremely memorable and very connected. And obviously the personal connection of Quicksilver being the son of Magneto, which they finally address in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
I totally respect the choice to say we're going to do a totally new cinematic spin on Apocalypse. I am fine with that, being a movie guy first. It, it, my problems with Apocalypse in this movie are not because it's not like the Apocalypse I remember, because the robotic-looking Apocalypse in the comic books would be totally goofy. Um, but... Once he learns and starts getting everyone under his power, the sort of maniacal screaming, uh, you know, it's it's like Ronin, you know? But for some reason, Lee Pace as Ronin does it the best. It, just a screaming, evil, one-dimensional bad guy. Uh, Ronin is just, you love to hate him, and you can't wait for the Guardians to take him on. And you need these one-dimensional bad guys to get teams together, and that's what's happening with the X-Men. Um, but that's why in some way X1 and X2, oh, there he is. That's why in some way X1 and X2 are great. It's more in the spirit of the comics where they're trying to stop Magneto and the evil mutants who, who have bad intentions, but have good reason, some good reasons and aren't totally far gone as, as we see with Eric and Mystique and others. Um, and so when you know when you've got batman punching superman and you've got half the avengers punching the other half of the avengers and you've got x-men punching x-men in this movie it's not surprising that while this did get better reviews and better reception overall for sure than bvs people were just exhausted they had comic book movie fatigue and they had fatigue of these big dark you know team versus team battle movies which you know is a lot of the x-men and the avengers like you're just going to have that and that's why everyone was pumped for thanos and part of why infinity war i mean part of why infinity war made two billion dollars was because they've been building for it for 10 years and everyone was pumped to see black panther and cap and everyone come together and finally fight thanos has been being teased since the beginning um but part of it was it was nice after civil war and ultron and so forth to finally, you know, have everyone come together to unite against the greater villain. That's what made the first Avengers compelling. Um, the difference is, you know, the Chitauri had zero personality, just like the monsters in, in uh, uh, the most recent Avengers movie, Infinity War, had even less personality, but you had Loki pulling the strings. And because of the personal connection of Loki with Thor and the MCU, he's still the best... Uh, sort of cosmic villain even while eric killmonger obviously michael b jordan is the best villain in general uh and is right there in my opinion with the joker dark knight um of all-time great comic book villains i i guess you know joker gets the the nod because it's really his movie in the dark knight uh in fact the dark knight could be referring to him as well as harvey as well as bruce wayne <laughs> kurt kurt wagner yeah caliban they didn't even blink an eye to do two calibans the logan one's so much better with Stephen merchant yep there she is olivia munn the dream nerd casting for psylocke she looks like her she's got great fighting skills she's got nerd cred she's probably read all the comic books i'm not convinced that olivia munn's <laughs> charisma and acting ability is up to her just looks but with experience, she'll get there. And that's why it's a waste of opportunity to not give her more screen time. They shouldn't have bothered with Angel. And they don't actually give Angel that much time. And Storm really does very little in this movie. Um, look at her. She's so in it. I mean, 
if you want to say J-Lop mails in blockbuster movies, it's definitely parts of Hunger Games where she's clearly not connecting. She loves playing this role. She doesn't like the blue makeup. Uh, you know, who would? She's just honest about it. But when she's able to just beat Raven, you know, secret agent playing both sides but trying to save mutants, She's you can tell she loves the role. And she keeps coming back. We thought they were going to get rid of her here, and she said she wasn't going to come back. She immediately signed on for Dark Phoenix. I think this movie also suffered... I mean, all the quote-unquote prequel movies have suffered somewhat uh, from you know the Han Solo thing, which is when you're going into the past and telling origin stories of these characters we already know with different actors, it's like, you know... We have a new beast, we have a new Cyclops, we have a new gene, we got a new star, we have a new everybody, new Presser X. The difference is with First Class and Future Past, they really focused on a small number. It's Magneto, Presser X, Mystique, uh, Hank, you know, uh, slash Beast, and a couple others, Quicksilver, so forth. But now you're bringing in young Gene and Scott, who, you know, it's hard not to think of, uh, oh man. It's hard not to think of obviously Famke Jensen as as Jean, um, and uh, you know Marsden is great and hilarious as douchey loyal Cyclops <clears throat> in the first few movies. Yeah, she sounds great here with the accent. Um, she'll be flawless in the new one, uh, but uh, <laughs> you're not the biggest freak. But if people would just open themselves up to the fact that the new cast is great, I mean, look, Marzen is hilarious and brought an edge and surprising humor that wasn't really there in the script, especially with his competitive relationship, jealous relationship with Wolverine. Um, But he didn't have amazing chemistry with Jean Grey. Uh, You know, Jean had much better chemistry with, uh, speaking of uh, star-crossed lovers, yeah, um... So it'll be interesting to see whether Sophie Turner and uh, Ty Sheridan, I believe his name is, who plays uh, Scott Summers' Cyclops, develop good chemistry. <laughs> He's great, though. I mean, both Nightcrawlers have been awesome. I mean, this guy's just a, like a kid. He's just getting started. Alan Cumming was, you know, late 20s, early 30s, just getting established. But he was already a well-established English actor. So Caliban, of course, can't be exposed to sunlight, and he, the bad guys torture him with that. Uh, it was Stephen Merchant's, Merchant's portrayal in uh, Logan. So there's a lot of mustache twirling in X-Men First Class, and I think the difference is people who really liked the cheesy Kevin Bacon, January Jones stuff. Uh, you know, Sebastian Shaw and uh, Emma Frost, you know, it was intentionally campy and over-the-top, tongue-in-cheek. But functionally, this is the same thing. It's establishing power levels, establishing his control over his new horsemen. I think the problem is the staging of this whole thing, especially when Mystique comes in, gets kind of uh, a little sloppy. Olivia Munn certainly has great faces and a great physical presence. I mean, she trained the shit. Oh, man. Ah. Psylocke was definitely my favorite chick. 
I mean, she was definitely hot, Betsy, in the 90s portrayal. She's still hot in the portrayal, and she's beautiful here. But her costume, her being English, I think, in the comics. Is she pulling on an accent here? Man, look at that face. She dated Aaron Rodgers. She dumped Aaron Rodgers. But the, between the swords and the psionic blade and her connection with Wolverine and their trips to Japan and stuff, it was, yeah. And having them back on X-Force together in the comics in recent years has been great. And I hope... I mean, that's the thing. Even if they get rid of some of the new cast, she has to go over to X-Force. It's perfect. I heard Domino, Logan, Cable, X-23. Oh, man. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Deadpool 2. I think the other problem is uh, we're not sure how much the mind can... I mean, he definitely has psychic powers. He's got all the powers. You know, that's the thing with the X-Men. So, you know, they rate powers from 1 to 10. I don't know if it's formal or informal, but like the biggest X-Men heroes and the biggest X-Men villains. <laughs> He's already cocky Scott Summers. I love it. Jubilee. She's great. I already like her. Jubilee was annoying in the cartoon. Good in the comics. I like this chick. I hope we see more of her uh, admissions and stuff in the next one. What's them all? <laughs> He's already... <laughs> Oh, they go to the mall, and is that how they kind of partially avoid the explosion in the mansion? <laughs> Try it. <laughs> so me and my dad did a review after we saw it, and we mostly raved about it. And I did a 20-minute quickie before that where I mostly praised the movie. And movies like this age great because scenes like this where the characters don't totally hit, and it's just a matter of filling out the four horsemen... Yeah, so it's it's like three, four, five, maybe six scenes leading to the recruitment and then doing the recruitment. But Storm and Psylocke are the most important. So it would be very easy to have just thrown him in in the previous scene and then Magneto is Magneto, so he just joins. But they don't even try and connect the the mythology of the Four Horsemen. So it's just like I need four bodyguards and I'll take whatever powerful mutants I can find. So he turns him into Archangel, which of course happens in the comic, and it makes him super powerful, but it also makes him always worried that Apocalypse can control him and makes him less human. And, uh, you know, he's always afraid of turning and so forth, and he's part of the X-Force team. The Uncanny X-Force that I'm reading right now is Wolverine, Deadpool, Psylocke, this guy, Archangel, and the only one I'm not familiar with, but I'm getting more familiar with Phantom Max, who's an assassin, but who also has a bill. He's so smart. He's, he's a Frenchman. I think he can build, you know, extremely advanced AI living ships. You know, he's, he's one of those Omega, I believe they call them Omega, um, powered characters. I was telling you about how many OP characters are earn the x-men which allows for a lot of creativity in massive crazy battles but it's also a huge challenge to figure out comparative power levels in the avengers you know thor has a couple powers hulk's punchy punchy captain's america's punchy punchy widow's an assassin iron man's got the suit and so you have the comparative power battles in avengers one and then in civil war but for the most part you know it's a little bit easier to coordinate now ant-man throws you know uh, a a chink um not a chink in the armor ant-man throws it uh for a loop because the quantum realm thing is just impossible to understand in, in the 
the X-Men universe. This is great. The new blackboard. And he talked about, he talks about building a, a yeah, retractable roof of the basketball court. Right. Which of course we've seen the first X-Men at the end. And he's, this is, this is why it's important because he, he is still in love with her and he has at least strong friend feelings for her, but he also sympathizes in the last 10 years since what happened in Washington with her saving mutants. And while he's definitely loyal to Charles and wants a peaceful solution and we, Hank becomes a politician, but he's super pragmatic and practical after what he's seen in the sixties and seventies when they were, you know, almost destroyed. And, uh, so he's preparing for war and professor X doesn't stop him. And, and uh, you know, professor X is constantly having to learn that they need to be ready to protect themselves. And that's why leaving the X mansion unguarded in X two was a ginormous mistake. And, uh, it's interesting to think, you know, we had the mind meld between Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy from past, present, future, whatever. Um, and that very emotional and touching scene in a future past. It's interesting to think whether there was nonverbal exchange as well intellectual exchange oh he's gonna kill all these guys oh man yeah this was probably unnecessary as well so you cut out 10 minutes of apocalypse and five to ten minutes of magneto i don't think it really detracts from the movie you know especially magneto we know you know even though magneto stuff is better because of fassbender um if you've seen any of the movies, you know who Magneto is, right? He says, you know my powers, you know who I am, see what I can do. That's what I'm talking about. I wonder if, right, I'll show you. So now we're going to see again. Yeah, I think they didn't realize that Future Past, making so much money and getting great reviews and great response, um, really the first time that's happened on both fronts in terms of money and critical acclaim, that brought a lot of people to X-Men and they actually needed less and they didn't do actually a ton of exposition in that movie. And this one they're doing a lot as if there's a lot of new fans. Um, but I don't think now is the time to redo all these origin stories. But again, I can't look at this through the eyes of someone who's only seen one or two and knows very little about the X-Men. Mm-hmm. I mean, first class totally sells going to evil. You get that he's playing both sides and, and future past. And, whoop. Oh, does Apocalypse end up killing these guys? And we never learn why he picks these particular mutants. I guess those three he just runs across in Cairo, and then he knows about the famous Magneto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't care if he kills him. He's going to kill him. <laughs> That's it. This is the first display of near omnipotence of apocalypse. And it does make him scarier in some ways um, that he's not just 30 feet tall and punching people. Ooh, Psylocke, Olivia Munn. Damn, girl. Oh, man, that costume's great. Like Charles, he either doesn't want to or doesn't feel like he needs to mind control 
Magneto. Here's Auschwitz. Oh, they go back to the concentration camp. Yeah. I can't complain about this. They're giving people a history lesson about the Holocaust. How can I complain about this? You know, I mean, I think the comic book movies, even the really good ones on both the Marvel side and the X-Men side, are divided between the ones that are great because of a great middle act, like in Guardians and Avengers, which is a mix of, you know, character drama and the character building action scenes, and ones that, you know, start intensely like this and then have up and down beats of, of drama in the middle um and then save you know the last hour uh, of the th- you know building up to the last hour thing the difference is batman superman took an hour 45 minutes to get to the fight and it was just an exhausting amount of tension before that that didn't feel like natural tension civil war people will say, well, the airport battle is the best part. That's my least favorite part. I love the ground stuff with Panther, Bucky, and Cap early on. So I think, actually, Civil War loses steam, whereas this gains steam. So this is... Yeah, and this is the Thanos problem. Is... You ask fans, like, what's Thanos' motive? They're like, to balance the universe. Like, that's not a motive. That's a goal. A motive is why is it important to you that that happens? And while Josh Brolin's performance as Thanos and his relationship with Gamora and the tragedy with Gamora, I'll just say in case you haven't seen it, um, it, it, it sold through performance and because... They're not able to, through the writing, and even Oscar Isaac's great abilities really sell through performance here. It's just a omnipotent, near-god, you know, level 10, omega mutant that, you know, claims to want to balance the world, but it's not clear. I mean, even wanting to rule the world is something. But this guy and... uh you know, the Kree and Thanos and the Chitari, they just want the universe to burn. And that's why the Joker is brilliant is because his nihilism is specifically playful. Um, and they actually talk about the fact that he's just a dog chasing cars. Yeah. There's no personal motives for apocalypse but it's to bring out character stuff in them. So this could be seen as controversial, him destroying Auschwitz, because I don't know if this fits his character or even like a a very misguided Holocaust survivor of any type, because you want the memories. Like this is what the people who want the world to forget about the Holocaust would do. And so I have to think he's being influenced uh, directly or indirectly um, with, uh, or I should say by, there's daddy, um, by apocalypse to do it. And maybe that also informs his turn to be like, oh my God, I destroyed that horrible place, but that pl- I shouldn't have done that because the pres- preservation of that memory is important to my people and a symbol of everything wrong about humans. It's interesting to think.
you know the 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 great and problematic thing about x-men in all forms comic books and movies um is it's very heavy-handed at times like overly so and it's overly subtle at times but but it all depends on your interpretation and the way you read things and your interests and your interpretations i prefer it you know there's nothing subtle even though the marvel movies are have been way 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 better in terms of quality control than the dceu movies sorry worlds of dc um the bottom line is neither are particularly subtle you know captain america being ground level and trying to uphold morals while dealing with like you know earth corruption on earth and spies and everything like that just Chris Evans's performance and the subtle writing for Captain America, th- there is some subtlety there and black Panther's relationship, you know, uh, with, um, with Killmonger, um, and black Panther expanded on that as well. Just like Xavier and, uh, <laughs> they're talking about empire and, and the original movie and they trash return of the Jedi. Oh, shots fired at return of the Jedi. They said the third one's the worst, so are they saying X-Men 3's also the worst, and this is the worst? <laughs> oh, yeah, she doesn't know. Um, These guys are so great together. That's the thing. The thing that kept... I know I'm changing subjects here. The thing that got came me back brought me back to x-men first class was specifically these two growing up together and the fact that they were like brother and sister but he didn't realize that he was losing her the whole time and the push she needed to to go away yeah he says is your home i just lived here yeah (laughs) yeah he learned how to deal with her not control her and not over idealize even at the end of future past. He convinced her through his words to not, to not pull the trigger and he still sees good in her. And while he's kind of shocked that Magneto turns at the end, he always thinks that he can bring her back to the light. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Reinhardt and I agreed very, uh, almost simultaneously, that the T'Challa, Killmonger, uh, tragic an- antagonism is very, very, very reminiscent of the Eric Charles one. Um, and the other similarity is, while T'Challa is actual royalty in Wakanda and Kelmiger comes from kind of a poor, oppressed background in the slums of Oakland. So too is Charles from a very, very rich background. He's not royal, but his families could be family could have been lords and ladies for all I know, you know, in the, in the court, you know, dukes, duchesses, something. And, obviously, Charles going through the Holocaust, a little bit worse than what Kelmiger experienced. Um, but, 
it's important in both cases that they were sheltered and privileged. And so they never experienced the full suffering as children. And when you don't experience full suffering as children, or you do experience extreme suffering as children, um, as a child, I should say, that informs in a way that no amount of suffering as an adult can change because, you know, Charles suffers a lot as an adult throughout the decades, but not as a kid. And he didn't have to go through the hatred and fear that Raven slash Mystique did. He certainly didn't have to go through what Charles went through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They let Moira do a lot more in this movie, even with potentially less screen time. You know, I didn't love all the strip clubs. There, there were strip clubs constantly in first class. Um, and she was posing as a stripper. I mean, I guess it was a funny way to introduce her. Now here comes the, uh, he's building the suit. It's the Archangel suit. He can like shoot spikes out of there. He can do all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, he sort of looks like vision. I mean, the coloration's different, but he sort of looks like the vision in terms of looking part human, part Android in the comics. Hello, old friend. So you have to take out Professor X in every movie, in every single one. First class, he's mostly in control uh, in terms of his power level. But in X1, he gets taken out. In X2, he gets taken out. In X3, he gets killed. Um, In Logan, he's old and crazy and about to die. In Future Past, he gets taken out. Here, he gets taken out. You got to do it. He's, He's potentially the most powerful mutant in the world, especially with Cerebro. He literally could snap his fingers right now. And that's why he has to be a truly moral good guy to the core. Even if it's like borderline annoying and unrealistic or not borderline, just completely unrealistic because if this guy had that power, he would have already pulled the trigger. And Magneto in fact tries to do that in X2 and a great twist of Stryker's plan for Patrick Stewart to be tricked into killing all mutants through Cerebro. Pretty brilliant. what's great about the X-Men movies to me is having not read a ton actively since I was a kid, but having strong memories of the characters and themes, it always feels loyal for the most part to the spirit of the X-Men. Um, and that's why apocalypse feels a little off to me, but in general, good guys and bad guys through most of the movies, um, feel loyal to the characters and they pull enough of the stuff from the comics and they pull from different eras, you know, in different branches. And there's so many X-Men, uncanny X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor. He's constantly getting fucked with, with, uh, Cerebro. So in future past, there's a extended cut called the road cut where Anna Paquin has an actual role and they, do a mission to the X-Mansion and Iceman dies and Magneto fights and it's interesting. It makes you appreciate the restraint of the original cut. But Mystique comes to the mansion, seduces Nick Holt, Beast, look at those eyes, seduces Hank, they fuck and then she, you know, poisons Professor X or whatever. Was, yep. I mean, this is the risk he takes. This is the risk he takes. The risk he takes is not killing everyone by accident. It's other people getting a hold of him through it. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. I mean, I guess he's motivated by being betrayed by his own people. Um, but they were slaves. You know, he was going to be a god king inheriting a god king. The, the, the spirit of a god king. And, uh, oh, does he just launch nukes everywhere? I forgot about this. Yeah. This is something Apocalypse would for sure do. Right, no more weapons until I nuke the pl- the planet. No more superpowers. Is that... Mm. There it goes. End of the world. Judgment day. <laughs> Stanley. In a non-comedic moment. Rare. They do get funnier in every Marvel movie. These actors are top-notch. Even when the writing is predictable or a little substandard, they they make it work for themselves. Make it work for themselves and for us. Right, machines. Yeah, this is definitely a tale of two movies. Tale of two movies. Oh, Cerebro's what break. Here's what it is. And he dies doing this. Wreak havoc, right? Yeah, they destroy Cerebro. It blows up the mansion. It kills Alex. And if not for Quicksilver, they'd all be dead. I thought just the extended Quicksilver stuff, that wasn't just one fun scene, but the whole second half of the movie he was saving everybody would be enough to keep people in it. But I think, again, people were just exhausted. And of course, Magneto and Jean Grey rebuild it with their powers at the end. It's so great. He's done. Uh-oh. Oh, I thought Havoc maybe died there. Oh, right. It comes through his chest. That's cool. Yep, oh, here we go. Teleportation. I mean, he, yeah. He's an Omega. Omega level mutant. Uh-oh. Yeah, Mystique said she hasn't chosen her sides, but they have. Yeah, this is a big mistake by Havoc. Oh, he hits the reactor. Yeah, so he leads to his own death. Here we go. They play Sweet Dreams here. This is great. Yeah, That's the thing. I mean, Ant-Man has tons of these kind of scenes, (laughs) but... Look how look how great that still shot is. Oh my god. You're probably filming at like 240 frames per second. <laughs> here we go. This is beautiful. So, from here, through the Weapon X facility, through the end, is just fantastic. <laughs> this 
So this is a version of the Matrix technology where you just have tons of cameras and do still shots. And then, you know, and then refilm stuff around it with the action combined with CGI. Look at this. Boom. You know, I talked to my Days of Future Past commentary, um, which obviously came out before Ultron, but the Aaron Taylor Johnson, less powerful version of Ultron, who I love just because of his acting ability and the character stuff with him and Scarlet Witch and Ultron and and, and Hawkeye. And, um, <clears throat> and obviously they killed him, I think, because they, we can't have two Quicksilvers. You know, they made some sort of agreement behind the scenes. Disney and Fox, now it's not a problem, obviously. But um, he gets everyone but Havoc, I think. Um, but when I did my Days of Future Past commentary which was before this, I was like, he's so powerful and they have to justify not bringing him on the mission there because he's just a kid and they don't want to get him involved with a very complicated political situation, which I buy. But here they, they clearly, he needs to be, you know, one of the tech tactical leaders of the team to say the least. This is so amazing. I mean, I don't know how you don't love this stuff. This is like what you think Neo can do in the matrix. And we just don't ever say, and I brought that up during the, the much smaller version of this scene, the dog with the pizza. Uh, you know, that he's he's the f- way more powerful and fun Neo, fully realizing the, p- the powers. Boom. <laughs> he's smiling. Here comes Stryker coming up. <laughs> I mean, you can... Y- y- people will say, oh, that looked CGI. It's only because you know it. It, it it's CGI. The movements look totally human. He even set up a landing pad for all of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, he does so much stuff, they don't even have time in that three-minute clip to show everything. <laughs> Everyone but the Summers brother. So, we're about to get to the Weapon X facility, and I did not... We knew Hugh Jackman was going to do a short but cool cameo, and it would make sense... Uh, be at the Weapon X facility, and it made sense that we, you know, we knew Stryker was going to come back. Now, you know the completely unnecessary, nonsensical twist um, at the end of Future Past was, you know, Wolverine's at the bottom of the bay. They pick him up. Stryker says he's mine. You're like, okay, this is where the Weapon X program starts, and then it turns out to be Mystique as Stryker. Uh, here they sort of retcon that, and, and that they just say, okay, it's actually Stryker does get a hold of him. Um, and the fact that they free him and Gene is the one who really frees him and calms him down a little bit. And, you know, um, again, it's not surprising that Wolverine, that Logan many years later wouldn't recognize or remember Gene. It doesn't make sense that she wouldn't remember him, but again, everything's been reset and changed by the future past. We're on a new path. We're on a new timeline here. Um, and so it's possible we have three or four timelines going in the X movies. We have the original cast as a reset, uh, and future past. We've got this timeline, which branched off, branched off with the reverberations of it, where everyone's accelerated and things are moving quicker and the relationships are a little different. Uh, here's dead brother. Um, and then we've got the Logan, which is clearly influenced by all the things Wolverine had gone through in the past, but it seems like that also could be like a dead end timeline. And then we've got Deadpool and Cable. Now I think Logan, because of X 23 and some of the new mutants, 
I think they're going to use time travel as a way of bridging some of the stuff from Logan with the Cable, Deadpool, etc., X-Force stuff in the future. That's what I hope. Again, Invasion of the Mansion with Stryker, you know, clearly a parallel from future Stryker doing this. They'll, of course, be prepared in the future for Stryker if he's even still around. Maybe he'll never even rise to that that position. Uh, They just taser. (laughs) Yeah, they just have like these giant stun guns. There he is. Yeah, she knows who he is. They all go down. This is the way to get the youngins empowered. I guess they, they... Oh, no, they, they don't get captured. They go to rescue everybody. Yeah. Had to do it. Had to do it. You know? Especially because in the final battle, they're, you know, they're not sure what to do. I mean, they know they're with the good guys in the final battle. We'll get there. But we needed to empower them midway through the movie so they weren't just the kids kind of tagging along. You know, I mean, Rogue and Iceman obviously do stuff in, in X1 and X2, but they're always kind of peripheral. But with these main X-Men and these new origin stories for them, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Jean Grey, all originals or close to originals, I believe. Yeah, these are not the droids you're looking for. Craziness. Love it. God, she's so cool. You know, and well, I'll get back to that. What makes Jean so powerful and scary and what's going to happen to our Phoenix is that Potentially, she's as powerful psychically as Charles, but she also has telekinesis and, and other powers. So on paper, she's more powerful than Charles, but she can't control it. And we finally saw young Charles, James McAvoy Charles in Future Past, lose it for a while, taking drugs, wants to ignore the pain, repress the power so he can walk and not all the voices in his head. But once he gets settled, he's, you know, he's mostly in control, except when everyone's taking him out and mind controlling him. Um, and you know they tried the dark phoenix saga in the initial trilogy with gene and while it was one of the most memorable parts as i've talked about and they keep using the reverberations of wolverine killing gene in um it's one of the most memorable parts of x3 last stand you know and and the killing of uh, the mercy killing of gene by wolverine that image and the, the implications of it you know have reverberated and were very important they're giving the dark phoenix another try but again in the separate timeline they can do it and this time they'll do it right hopefully that's why they're calling it dark phoenix and immediately she's going to be evil and it's going to be great to see sophie turner finally get to play a completely different character from her game of thrones character where she's the most powerful and she's crazy and and you know they're downplaying the cosmic stuff which i'm glad you know i don't like I know Magneto goes to space and they do deal with the Celestials and so forth, you know, but I don't think they want to go the Guardians of the Galaxy route. And so they're going to have to figure out if they can keep Apocalypse Earthbound because Apocalypse has wanted to become a Celestial in the comics. Um, he wanted to become one of the, you know, powerful as the Ancients. Um, yeah. She's getting there with the X that keep, keep trying so we got, look at those eyes. Almost clear light blue green eyes of course you know when you're redhead with blue or green eyes just put green and blue on yeah it looks great natural beauty of sophie turner very earthy we're gonna have a round face 
Oh, there's Mystique. Oh, did they they snuck on the helicopter and she's using mind powers to to hide them? Is that what's going on? I forgot that. So here we are, Alkali Lake. And th th see and this is again, this is great. They could write Alkali Lake. I don't think they do. So that's the problem with Apocalypse. There's lots of parts that assume or trust you as a viewer to know what's going on without feed feeding it to you, but then there's tons of new origin stories and rebooting origin stories and retelling origin stories and the Magneto stuff. Um, they couldn't make up their mind about how, how much information, when, where, and how to give the audience. But that's so hard with all the timelines going on, all the actors and the different time periods and, you know. Let me give them a pass on that. So this is, you know, this is it. I mean, it's almost an hour till the end of the credits and it was really brilliant to not go immediately to the final battle here, even though it extends it and have the whole part in Alkali Lake because we do get actually a lot of humor and, you know, breakout hijinks and all that sort of stuff with the youngins. And then of course the Wolverine stuff, which is amazing. This of course came out before Deadpool and before Logan. Now, Logan wasn't officially announced as a rated R movie until Deadpool did great, but, you know, they were certainly filming or doing pre-production already at this point, and so we do see a very violent Wolverine what they can get away with in BG-13, which they've always had success with. Now, obviously, the amount of bloody violence uh, in, in Logan needed an R, but they've always known how to do hard PG-13 with Wolverine violence in the X-Men movies, and, and they do it great here. Let's see, am I still synced? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so Beast, Beast turns blue. All right, he's going to stop taking the meds. He's still taking the meds after all these years. And Mystique deciding to stay in her blue form after all this certainly build solidarity between the two of them at the end, which is great. Yeah. They're above the law. Psychic event. Yeah, so not clear how the nukes got destroyed. I guess by blowing up Cerebro, Apocalypse lost control of, of them somehow. <laughs> I don't care about likenesses. I don't care that this guy doesn't look like Brian Cox. The bigger problem is Brian Cox, well, he's clearly a former soldier and talks about it and acts like a military man. He's extremely smart and clever. So if this was the prime timeline, which it's not, you have to assume that he gets much smarter and more clever as it goes along, which makes sense. You know, you can be a hot-headed soldier in your 20s and 30s, and then once you're a general and you start to learn stuff, maybe you get cynical and evil, but you do get smarter. Tail looks great. See, I was saying earlier about, you know, the Cyclops laser looks so great in the first original X-Men movies. They didn't have to do much so many years later. Same with Nightcrawler. The, the bam, poof, poof, poof teleportation, they, they nailed already in 2003. And so they could do a few more tricks here with the money, but... Keep in mind, the budget is, even with inflation, much higher than the initial X movies. 
which is why X1 making 350 in 2000 was great. And this making five to 600 was a bit of a disappointment. Um, but you know, Avengers and Jurassic world and so forth have thrown everything off in terms of expectations. I mean, even the last Jedi, which half of star Wars fans at least hate made 1.3 billion. This was, yeah. And this is where the intercutting actually works great. You know, less apocalypse. We're keeping that storyline going. He's having a conversation with Charles. Charles is slowly figuring out how to manipulate the situation, even though he's uh, at disadvantage. But Charles, what's great about this is Charles uses his disability and he, he plays up his fear and he plays up his naivete, you know, uh, in order to have just a chance with the help of Dark Phoenix, I'm sorry, with the help of the Phoenix, a.k.a. Gene Gray at the end. He was. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the dad. But this is just done way better than, than the solo stuff. How Solo got his name, how Chewie got his name. And it's because of the writing, little subtle things, the acting, the actors... We've gone through this journey. That's the thing. We've had... This is the third movie with Jennifer Lawrence. Second movie with Evan Peters, this Quicksilver. And so the majority of these actors have been... Even Lucas Tell as Havoc in, in first class. Like... <laughs> uh, you know? So... It, it's not... It's more like if we get an Obi-Wan movie. But it's Ewan McGregor. And so we can tell new stories. We're familiar with the character. We'll get new stories. But when you try and film the Han Solo blanks with brand new actors that people aren't familiar with, when they've already created stories in their head about Han Solo, it's not a fair comparison in terms of film theory, but it's also not a fair comparison for people. So this is, this is Charles, Charles's first um, move. He's going to repeat the entire message, which is actually good because he wants to scare people and to realize how serious this situation is. And they're talking to the entire world, even without Cerebro, their powers combined. Uh, they don't even need Cerebro for the psychic stuff. Uh, you know, a- Africa, everywhere. Um, but the final line here, he sends a message. He's already talking to Gene. Right, folks on my voice. Cairo, yep. His eyes aren't glazed over, which is important. And... I think the justification is Apocalypse can't get Charles's full power without him being somewhat in control, but him being someone in control, here we go. It's a risk Apocalypse takes and he, and he loses. Protect those without. Yeah, Apocalypse fucked up. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. How's he doing it without Cerebro? <laughs> we don't know, bro. This is the place you don't expect any of the humor to happen. But between these three, it Quicksilver, it Jayla, it while Wolverine is brutal killing, it has a as always a dark humor to it. Bamf, boom, bamf, poof. Love me some Nightcrawler. He was great in the video games. Just teleport all over the place, kick people. <laughs> Yep, not disguising them anymore, Jean Grey. Yeah. So, 
The other problem with using apocalypse here is, and getting rid of him essentially is, um, he creates Mr. Sinister and Mr. Sinister along with apocalypse basically lead to the creation of cable. It's complicated. I won't go into it here has to do with trying to take Cyclops and Jean Grey's son and do something with him, but he ends up diseased. They send him to the future and he comes back. Cable ends up wake. So there's a connection between apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, who's the creation of apocalypse. Um, but Mr. Sinister is also connected to gambit. He's connected to, um, to cable. He's a great bad guy. Now, they could retcon it. First of all, you could have Mr. Sinister without Apocalypse in the movies. That would be fine. They also could... He, maybe he created him somewhere along the way, and that they'll, they'll like, semi-retcon or explain that away later. Um, I really hope they have Mr. Sinister, especially if we get Gambit, you know. Um, and look, if Ryan Reynolds could get Deadpool made after 10 years, then... <laughs> what's his name can definitely get his passion project of gambit made there he is see people complain that it was too little i actually thought we were going to get less wolverine i thought it was going to be a little bit more than the fuck off in first class now here he's looking like x24 the evil wolverine in the in Logan. Oh, here we go. Boom. Never gets old. The slashing. Little things too, like that jump, he was clearly on strings, but it, you know, it looks like a real jump that takes tons of practice and finesse by both the actor and everyone on the set and the special effects or the practical effects people. Yeah. I mean, Zack Snyder claims he's trying to go for realism, but this is so much more brutal and realistic than anything with Batman or Superman that we've seen in recent years. I guess the main complaint about the Dark Knight movies is like, Batman's just a brawler. That's just who he is. Um, And the fights were actually maybe the least interesting. I mean, the fight with Bane is great, but for the most part, the fights with Batman... And Dark Knight movies are not what made those movies great. Boom. So, yeah. So, either we have to ignore the fact that they tried to pull a quick one on us with Mystique disguised as this guy, Stryker, at the end of Future Past, or that there was a transfer of, of personnel of Wolverine to this facility somehow. Like, the real Stryker got onto her and got him because she does recognize Straker immediately in a way that I know, I guess, no, she saw him in Paris and then, uh, uh, DC. So she would know him anyways. Who cares? I think that was just a fun little thing they wanted to put in and didn't think it would, it would make a difference, especially because they knew they were going to take a time jump. So who cares? But it does fill in the gaps of when and a little bit, you know, he's probably, here we go. This is it. So this is another major branch in the timeline because as I said earlier, but now we're seeing it. Wolverine in the state could totally forget her. Plus she's going to look totally different in 20 years. However, there's no way she would forget him because he does not going to age. You don't forget Wolverine. I don't know if you could read into it and she just 
plays without saying anything in the original movies that she pretends not to remember him. But I'm really starting to get on board with just branching timelines and not making it all be the same in their influence and they cross paths, but it happens in the X-Men comics constantly. So many timelines, so many earths jumping between past, present and far future. Um, as long as the character beats remain consistent, that's the important thing in the themes and preserving the best parts of the comics. Now he looks like Logan. Now he looks like Hugh Jackman. That's a great transformation. Look at these two. It's crazy that in this short scene and they would have such amazing chemistry the way he and, and Famke Jensen have like immediate, it's different chemistry, obviously, but you know, him and, uh, and Famke have like sparks flying instantaneously in X one. That's what really gets it going. Him and Anna Paquin and then him and Famke. And then you got Charles and, and Eric and that sells the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, that's the movie Logan and the two women and Charles and, and, and Magneto. That's how they made it 90 minutes somehow with all the origin stories. That's an incredible cinematic achievement. You just calmed, calmed the beast. Right. So we know he has flashbacks after this to Alkali Lake, but it's, with the new branching timeline, it's possible that this Wolverine, you know, w- will be not as crazy in the 2000s as the initial movies. And that he'll be more himself. He'll have more memories. He'll, you know, not be tormented. Right. But that now this can't lead to Logan then because he'd be less tormented. It's I'm going to stop thinking about it. Who cares? <laughs> Cody McPhee. My dad loved him. It was great. And they make him look very appealing, too. He- <laughs> I'm sorry. Channing Tatum is, you know, Channing Tatum and Lizzie Kaplan seem like, I mean, Channing Tatum's project, Gambit, I was saying, compared, uh, is similar to Ryan Reynolds working forever to get Deadpool off. Uh, Channing Tatum is, you know, even more respected actor than Ryan Reynolds, he should be able to make it happen. It's just a tough character to convert. I guess Lizzie Kaplan's just rumored. They do have a production, pre-production stuff listed on IMDb for campus, so maybe mid-next year is possible. Here we go. Yep. So in the comics, he only goes to sleep for like 100 years. He actually is alive for thousands of years, up until mostly the present, and then he's woken up accidentally by Cable, who comes back from the past to stop him before he gets woken up. You know, that's a great, like, John Connor-esque twist. Yeah. I'm not even surprised that Brian Singer can do this at this point, because he's been doing it for two decades. Magneto's already starting to question. And here we go. What's interesting is there's actually a pretty long epilogue, but you really feel like you've earned it by then. And so by having the, the scene in the mansion and the that great stuff at Alkali Lake with the whole team and the rescue and Wolverine, 
you know, we're about an hour and 40 in. At this point, we just start the battle between Batman and Superman, which isn't even good. We've already had two extended great action character scenes, and now we get the final battle. It's a little exhausting, but I think if this had come out, not in that time around those other big, dark, epic superheroes beating up each other movies, would have been received better. If it came out before Civil War and there was no BVS, I think it would have gotten, gotten better received. And honestly, there's a lot of Star Wars, uh, X-Men fans, including Reinhardt, who like this better than Future Past and some of the other movies. Got the war playing, yep. <clears throat> I mean, the hardcore fans hate that Mystique's becoming a good guy and she's the one who rallies the X-Men. I love it. You have Jennifer Lawrence. It's a much more complex portrayal, just like Fastbender is a more complex portrayal of Magneto. Everyone's more complicated. It's just better. I mean, you can't replace Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart, but there's no doubt that these younger versions have been much more fleshed out across the board, and they're already setting it up for Dark Phoenix with the even younger X-Men. Right. I mean, thing is, this is the apocalypse from the comics. The, the difference between him and Magneto normally is Magneto wants, to, wants mutant domination and wants to kill or subjugate humans. Apocalypse just wants the strongest. And so, uh, as I was reading a little bit about Apocalypse, it's something like, you know, if he determines someone's more powerful than Hulk, then too bad for Hulk. <laughs> this is great. I thought she was going to now say yes, but she says, but I was scared on my first mission. Yep. This is it. This is a pep talk. This is the Jin Erso thing. I mean, it's way more understated, but you know, when Jin gives the the speech to the, the full Rogue One squadron when they land on Scarif, it's not a traditional pump-up speech. It's totally honest. It's saying, the odds are bad. It's okay to be scared. Let's remember the dead. We'll fight for them. May the Force be with us, essentially. Next men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing about first class is all the good guy and bad guy and new mutants, most of whom I had never even heard of before. I don't know if they exist in the comics. Were killed or were killed. Most of them are killed between that and future past by the by the government and strikers, t- people, and so forth. <laughs> I told my mom, yeah. <laughs> That's that's great, you know, because Quicksilver's obvious superpower is, you know, like I said, Neo in the Matrix. He's maybe more powerful than all these guys, but his other superpower is just being low key and quirky and nerdy and calm and hilarious. And you know, between Jennifer Lawrence being honest finally and uh, Raven, I should say, and uh, Evan Peters is Quicksilver lightening the mood. That's that's what the kids need, and they're still going to be scared out of their mind, and they're, you know up to their uh, eyeballs in danger and scariness here. What's going on here? Are they pulling the subs and stuff up? He's just pulling all the metal out of the ground, basically.
So some people say, oh, he shouldn't be called Magneto. His power is about metal, not, but it, it's actually magnetism. He's using magnetic fields in the air to twist the metal, guys. Come on. Yep. Yeah, see, he's pulling all the metal out of the, gr- the apocalypse starting from below the sea. is really interesting. And, you know, and with the ice caps already melted in high sea levels, this is, this is pushing it. Talking about the whole goddamn world. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle the sea in Aquaman. It was short and not great in Justice League. The trailer for Aquaman looks pretty good. It looks like they're spending a lot of time out of water. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they connect the the underwater kingdom with the rest of the world in, in Aquaman. I mean, that effect of, of stuff flying should look super fake, but I think the key is doing it in slow motion and really just putting tons of texture on the stuff. You know, the Marvel strategy is just boom, 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 effect, 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 speed stuff up. Here it's slowing it down and getting a really good view and angle on, on what you're looking at, and that, that's what sells it. I can't believe this is <coughs> Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac. I'll give it to him. I think, you know, having the one-dimensional bad guy bring the good guys together, but also bring the four horsemen, you know, together who are temporarily bad guys, the fact that they don't speak to each other or at all because they're under his spell, that was maybe a mistake. Um, but they wanted to preserve the quote unquote surprise that, you know, it's a big shocker that, you know, Magneto and Psylocke and so forth would, when it comes down to it, realize what they're doing is horrible and and turn on apocalypse. Who cares? It's not, it's how you get there. You know, it's not, it's not where you're going. It's the journey. Bright, there's something about the, the writing of the X-Men movies and, and the way Brian Singer films and directs the actors where these cliched lines just, they're so much smoother than in most big blockbusters that try and take everything so seriously. They also know when to pump the music and when to pull back on it, which is really key. Too much piano and sobby string music in, in most of these kind of movies for me. X-Men's always had the best music. They've got the best theme. I've said it before. They have the best cartoon theme. They have the best movie theme. This is great. The thing is, the stakes are way higher here than Civil War battle. And we, you know, in Civil War, other than Ant-Man and some cool Spider-Man stuff, mostly, you know, the fight kind of goes the way you think based on the powers because we know all their powers here it's so creative and they continue to find new ways for them to work together i always talk about you know what i loved about x-men growing up in comics in the animated series is that avengers are a team up in the comics and in the movies the x-men because of their being mutants and you know by necessity they're a family they're a team based on family yeah, embrace your powers. And because they're a family, they're eternally a team. 
Yeah, Mystique. Um, <clears throat> and when the X-Men movies are hitting, like here, it's all about working together with your powers. And that's part of why I love Ultron. Because <clears throat> Joss Whedon really went to great lengths to have you know like people use cap shield in different ways you know uh for all the like thor's hammer off of cap shield the energy powered guys uh you know working together to take down ultron but especially in x2 and the recent x-men movies you know they just it's not enough for them to fight together or side by side. They have to fight. They do work together. They're so powerful, but it's not enough because the people they're fighting are so powerful. And so they have to keep finding new and creative ways to combine their powers and create synergy with them. I mean, this is all a giant set with green screens and CGI, but it it could have fooled me. Yeah, I mean, they showed one of the best shots and the best Psylocke shot in the trailer. Again, I understand why they did it. Is this it? Here we go. Here it comes, baby. This is going to be the image on the, uh, the podcast, I think. Look at this. I mean, it... Marvel can't do this. I don't know why. I guess in Infinity War, they finally nailed it. But the, the, you know, it's so hard to tell when the, when the actors are being CGI'd and then coming closer into frame and become, you know, the transition, you know, like in Lord of the Rings, you can sort of tell, you know, like when Legolas is doing insane stuff on the Oliphant and stuff when it goes between, CGI Legolas and real Legolas and the X-Men movies it's almost impossible to tell the flying looks amazing Avengers didn't really nail flying in my opinion until the vision but it's not nearly as dynamic as the, as the flyers and X-Men I guess what I'm saying guys if you haven't figured it out by the last few podcasts in the last few years is I will take a I'll take a B or B plus X-Men movie over a A minus marvel or dc movie because of my history with it and i just think they're the most interesting they're the coolest they have the best costumes they have the coolest powers look at this i mean you know in marvel it's like you need dr strange and the guardians and ant-man do all sorts of nutso stuff but this continues as bizarre as all this power stuff going on is it you know it looks totally tactile and three-dimensional and textured they really got their money's worth. And it was important that she confront him in, in her true form because he's always encouraging her to embrace it. I can understand if you were skeptical going into a movie about Mystique going full good guy, but... She's finally in simpatico with Charles as long as she has agency to do this stuff when it needs to be done. But because of the writing and performance, I totally buy it. And, you know, 
some people are just always going to want things to be like the comic books, even if it's an inferior, re- inferior result. I prefer this. Does he say it? He doesn't know. I like how they play this. I'm here for my family, too. God, oh, Evan Peters is great. Here goes Olivia Munn, baby. Woo! Yeah, I, this can be a psychic blade. It can be a psychic... I think they call it psionic. But she can also get into your head with it. That's what's cool. She doesn't have, like, invisible telepathy the way uh, Charles and, and Jean do. But with, with the blade, she can get inside your head. Oh, they don't do it here. Which is fine. We'll, we'll see that in X-Force, hopefully. Look at her. She's a great physical actress. She was like a video game talk show host. I don't know where she got these chops. She must have a theater background to be able to jump into a role like this. Even though she doesn't have many lines. Very convincing. I know. It was definitely a fan favorite. People want more. That's what you want. Uh, My main criticism on first viewing was that there were so many X-Men in this battle that you couldn't have them all fighting at once the way they wanted to do the slow character build and have, you know, have the young and slowly power up, have the experienced ones get stopped or paralyzed. And so there's a lot of looking on by both the good guys and the, you know, the, the horsemen characters who are trying to decide which side they're on and what apocalypse is really doing. Um, but on repeat watchings, it's beautiful. And unlike with civil war, the stakes are actually here in terms of the airport battle. I mean, the stakes are actually here. This is great. Uh, Energy against energy is always amazing. Um, and, uh, they prioritize the, every character, even Moira, who's here in the cockpit, every character has a role to play that builds their character. They have their own narrative. They have their own story. They have their own mini story within the story in this battle. <laughs> this looked like a blue orc there. Each time I see this final battle, I love it more. Psylocke. Here we go. Oh, man, look at her run. Yeah, I mean, it's it's seamless, the CGI transfer. It's seamless. It's all about making it dynamic, but also not trying to trick people too much. You know? Assume people are going to expect it to look CGI and then surprise them by doing a twist with how how it's shot and framed. I promised myself I wasn't going to just do a play-by-play at the final battle, battle, but goddamn, this looks amazing. So many... That's the other thing. There's so many of my favorite X-Men from the comics over the years are, are in this. Archangel's great in the comics. They're phasing in and out. Here, Nightcrawler's trying to save everybody. Wow. Is this how... Is this how Angel dies? They just kill Angel here. Yeah. I mean, they killed Havoc, 
Oh my god, this looks so real. This is so much better than, than the DC movies. She's out for a little bit. But this is important. At first, it seems like everyone's standing around. Like Magneto is like, you're standing around. But he's really trying to assess the situation. He's not ready to pull the final trigger, so to speak, and end the world as he watches this unfold. He's seen Charles and, and them go to bat for, you know, for the world too many times. Finally, Magneto can't take it. Yeah. But it's it's Raven. I don't. What was he saying? I don't have anything. That's what's great. That's what's great. The temptation would be to have him say something there, like "I have nothing left." But you just have it in Fassbender's eyes. Oh man, here it is. I'm about to start crying. This is one of the many touching scenes between them in First Class. When he. Charles frees his mind for the first time, but it ends up temporarily backfiring. Now, 20 years later, with the world about to end again, it's finally the fruits of Charles's labor finally coming through. And um, there's the tear. Yeah. In first class, the memory, as I mentioned, is the Sabbath, and they both cry, and he's remembering that. It is kind of cool they frame everything around Cairo, to be honest. I mean, Mission Impossible, they're going to a new place every five minutes. It's exhausting and boring. They planted the flag it was going to be here, Weapon X facility, and the mansion, and that was smart. Maybe that was... We're still connected. God, Isaac Isaac's so talented. It is interesting that he's doing this which has very strong holocaust connections obviously they blew up auschwitz and he's working with eric lencher and now he's going to be trying to take down eichmann in the in a few weeks <laughs> boom <laughs> yes oh man i don't know how people to love this again I, i'll say it for the last time i think there was just people keep talking about you know marvel fatigue comic book fatigue it goes in waves because people were saying that and then black panther and avengers made you know billion in a few months worldwide. They should have done the Wonder Woman thing. Just like Han Solo, they just sort of pushed it further in the summer or even into the fall. That's why, you know, we're starting to see movies like this released in January, February, October, November. Never used to be the case. You got to spread them out. People get too tired. This you see coming a mile away. You see this coming a mile away. She's going to try and kill him. Not sure why he's unable to read her. Slices the throat and grabs the throat. Right. And Storm, you know, Storm's also just watching. I remember the first time being like, people are standing around, but it's because everyone is, everything's so morally complicated Oh, right, it's Raven. I just saw this and I forgot. I forgot it was Raven. <laughs> and, and Storm worships her, and that's what's going to turn Storm. Uh, that's that's a great writing right there. With so little time with Storm, we know that she really looks up to Mystique as a hero of the mutants. So Angel's dead. S- Psylocke's out of business for now. 
Charles is going to turn. Storm's going to turn. Oh, McAvoy is amazing. She's she's trying to do anything with her shape shifting to get out. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now they have two against one with with uh, the the telepathy. Thank you for letting me in. Which apocalypse had earlier? Here we go. We get to see him standing with the hair, and we finally get apocalypse turning big. I guess it was a cool artistic decision to have the giant apocalypse the physically giant apocalypse that we see in the comics happen in this sort of psychic dream world. And this is true. This is true. This is the one thing apocalypse never considered was the amount of pain that Charles's power. Charles says it was able to keep it under control since the end of future past, but it's still there. All that pain of billions and billions of people suffering. It's great to see him walking and punt and fighting. And here comes the uh, the growth. And honestly, with all the giant man stuff with Ant-Man, I'm kind of glad they didn't give in to the temptation to do this in the real world of the movie throughout. And they saved it for here. It's a great nod to the comics. It's the perfect time to do it. It's more a psychic manifestation, obviously, because it's happening in their shared psychic universe or whatever the fuck's going on. And that's a great image, too, of him growing, you know, huge over the prone Charles. (laughs) It was like Hulk smashing Loki. Right. They're still trying to figure out what to do. This is way more realistic than constant fighting. This is this is how actual fighting happens. As crazy as their superpowers are, it's a lot of assessing the situation. Yep, oh, here he comes. Finally. The only time we've ever seen Magneto really go good at the end of a movie is in his death throes in the far future of, of Days of Future Past, when he finally regrets everything, and it's it's too late, but he buys them enough time to, to to change the past and, and prevent that dystopic future. I betrayed them. Yep. And this is why you do the Magneto sub story with the, the family tragedy, you know, to, to, to make this more powerful, to make this the movie where he turns after all the suffering when he thought he had escaped it. It's a cool effect. He's just burning up all the metal. I swear to God, of the not terrible X-Men, if you get rid of Origins, Wolverine, and x Ray, really every other X-Men in, uh, that was kind of sexy, uh, every other X-Men in Wolverine movie, I mean, Logan was amazing on first watch, X2 was amazing on first watch, but every other one, especially the new ones, get better with each watching. Future Past got better, First Class got way better, this has gotten better. 
I guess I only saw this once in the theater, and it's been two years. And so when I came back to this a couple days ago in preparation for my podcasts, uh, obviously I'm doing the commentary now. I still like the 80% of the stuff I liked the first time, and the other 20% I've, you know, grown to like more or just more comfortable with. Yeah, and the sort of giant dollhouse thing going on there is, it, this is all kind of creepy, you know? And it's in the X-Mansion. That's what you do. You film everything, Cairo uh, set, fake or real, in the X-Mansion. And you spend your money on the effects. Not the locations. Or, like, unnecessary car chases. So what's great is, even though the main th- th- introduction of the main three new primary X-Men, Cyclops, Jean, and Nightcrawler, are, are all sort of leveling up as it goes along, it happens in different ways in different stages with each of them. You know, uh, Nightcrawler is already pretty powerful in the beginning, and he gets just more creative and pushes himself, forces himself to go further and further and further. Um, Jean, it's short spurts, and, and we keep thinking we've gotten all the gene we're going to get, but now we're like, okay, we're about to see the Phoenix. Um, and they, I think resist the urge to tease dark Phoenix here, which, which is great. And just have her be, you know, powerful gene who hasn't lost control yet because she's just discovering it. But like with Charles over time, it, it gets more intense. Cyclops hasn't really let loose at all until now. Um, I think it was smart for Cyclops to be sort of, the least not the least powerful but the least developed of the main three newbies um because we know he's going to be the leader in the future and that's his main superpower is his leadership and charisma and getting people to follow him in his moral center you're alone Mm-hmm. god this is great look at that blood pg-13 baby here we go oh i just got chills here she is, Jean Grey. How can you not love this? Thing is, Famke Jensen is gorgeous and, and magnetic. But this makes more sense as a Jean Grey portrayal to me. Even though it's younger than the Jean I, I grew up with, who was already, you know, a full woman married with, with kids and so forth. This is, yeah, this is Neo in the Matrix. The, Neo, the end of the first Matrix. The world's ending. Everyone's dying or we think they're dead and the time of greatest need and even magneto can barely hold on with his power and charles is out everyone it's all up to Jean, and she's perfectly calm and so they're gonna have to spend a little time building towards dark phoenix or maybe they just jump in because it's a time jump so maybe oh she's walking on air yes yeah, this is so much cooler than the flying of Smith and Neo at the end of the, the last Matrix movie. She's walking. Unleash your power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let go. There it is. There's the Phoenix, baby. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, they do tease it big time. Unleash the beast, the anger, the rage. This is going to backfire on them, but they need it right now to save the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that Magneto's there for part of the final blow. And here's where the teamwork comes back. Cyclops again. Boom. Letting loose. He's free. He's going right at him. You know, it's like a different version of Wolverine. He's got one power, essentially, offensively, and it's just straight at him. You know? 
And here we go with Storm. I always talk about, you know, this is comic books. You need all the big energy blasters to go at the the Omega bad guys at the end. Oh, man. Yeah. That's the thing. He's all about the strongest survive, and she's stronger than him. He got what he want, but he's not a part of his own future. You know? It's like Ben Mendelsohn as Krennic getting killed by the Death Star that he created. There's, okay, there's the Phoenix. All right. All right. I was wrong again. They knew they were going to do Dark Phoenix. I mean, even if this movie made less than it did and was reviewed worse than it was, there was no way they weren't going to do it. And even with the Disney acquisition, I don't know if it's going to work out, guys, but the fact that Disney's going forward with it and didn't push it back that much is a great sign. And they wrapped filming almost a year ago. Oh, my God. Olivia Munn. She'll be back as a good guy. They're keeping her under wraps. I think it's probably because they want to push her towards X-Force. She's Her powers, her look, her sexiness, her violence, her relationship with Wolverine and those characters of X-Force in the comics, I, I, I think they're, they're probably going to just cameo her with even less screen time in Phoenix. And I'm wondering if they're going to if part of the they're doing two months of reshoots now of dark phoenix which of course everyone's worried about like rogue one which turned out great with the reshoots um and i think it's because they're creating the connectivity for phasing out this part of the x-men and building up the the x-force and whatever the future new mutants holds hold the future of the new mutants hold holds look at that face Thank you, Jean. Mm-hmm. More advanced version of what she did to help Logan. Oh, here it is. I love that they do this. I suspected he was going to do this, but to do it right now, at the end of all things. Mm-hmm. And he apologizes, but she totally understands. Oh, I'm getting chills. Oh, they're so cute. Oh, God. They have such great chemistry. That was the thing. After this, and I went, oh, right, he did it while they were kissing. She's crying. Oh, man, she's so good, Rose Byrne. Again, like first class, took me a while to warm up to her. Now I absolutely love her. Love her. Yep, he's going to... She understands... These actors are just spectacular. Like, off-the-wall great performances. <laughs> Got to break the tension. Hold on. What did I miss? <laughs> yeah, that was great. They took out Nightcrawler for the end part, but he had done so much up to that point. Yeah, way better than the airport battle. Sorry, Marvel. And while Infinity War had great moments, is mostly the dramatic stuff I remember from Infinity War. The battles were great, but this is, you know, when the X-Men teamwork with the superpowers is clicking, it's, it's still the best. And finally, the news gets it right, at least for now, that not only did the mutants save the world, but they actually, the world at least temporarily forgives Lencher 
And this is, you know, this is the divergent timeline. I mean, it's very possible Magneto goes evil again. My feeling is after this, and considering it's going to be the last movie, almost for sure for Fassbender, and maybe for the whole cast, we'll we'll have to see, as I've been speculating. Um, Yeah, Storm's there. Um, I think think we're going to see a full movie of young Magneto uh, just helping the good guys. He's going to do it for Charles. He's going to do it for Raven. That's the thing. As brilliant and as classic as the original cast is, especially with Hugh Jack and Patrick Stewart, ultimately, if they can end on a high note with Phoenix, even if you don't like this movie, but first class, a really good first class, a great future past, pretty good apocalypse, and hopefully a great Phoenix, these will end up being more affecting performances. And... If we consider this X4, X5, X6, X7, it's going to age better as a quadrology or whatever. I don't even write about you. All right, the rest of the world. This is it. I, 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 I'm getting chills. I love this. This was the, this was the discussion when he's in jail when older Magneto's in jail at the end of the first movie and they're playing chess and he's talking to Patrick Stewart, they have this exact speech. Mm-hmm. And this is another hint that everyone's ahead of schedule, including Eric coming to the good guys. He doesn't have to wait until the, the, um, dystopian future with the Sentinels and speaking of the Sentinels, goodbye old friend. <laughs> Hmm. This is a great place to end it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Boot camp. She's staying blue. Beast is staying blue. Brother X look more serious than ever. And he's had a schedule too. Not in terms of powers, but in terms of taking... The threat's more serious. Yes, you're X-Men. Oh, God. I think having Simon Kimberg as a new director, but who's been writing all along with a fresh perspective, but doing the singer method, which should work great. They just need a great script. Nice. Oh, man. This is such a great way to end it. Because... It's a happy ending. It's a coming together of the original team. Oh my God. Look at Sophie Turner. So stunning. But they're per- even though they've avoided, this is great. They've avoided the, the Sentinel future past future that we saw in Days of Future Past. But the fact that they're fighting against the Sentinels uh, that were created by Peter Dinklage in the 70s in Days of Future Past, you know. It's not over. The battle is not over. And I guess the one thing is, as much as I'm excited about Dark Phoenix and pushing Sophie Turner to the front, man, that, that movie is great. I almost wish the final movie was just them fighting, like, I guess Apocalypse, but a better, more complicated villain um, or, you know, some alternate version of the, the Sentinel future. Um because the whole movie you're going to be 
we're going to have to root for them to stop Phoenix, but not kill her, you know? Um, and it will be interesting if they, we get the direct connectivity of them giving birth to Cable, sending him to the future, and that, you know, and that leading to everything going on with the Deadpool, Logan, X-Force universe. So, maybe not my best commentary, but I had a blast. I love watching this movie. I never, I, I mean, that's not true. I always assumed I would do a commentary for this, but not so soon after just re-seeing it and doing Logan and doing my X-Men podcast, but it makes sense. I do a bunch of X-Men stuff now. Maybe I'll release some of my old X-Men uh, commentary. So I'm just really quickly looking at the um, cast and crew for Dark Phoenix. Um, so Kinberg wrote, is writing and directing it. So it will be interesting. You know, it's the James Gunn thing. It's the Ryan Johnson thing. The Joss Whedon thing. Sometimes it works out great. Sometimes not so much. Um, Olivia Munn is at the top of the list, but it's just rumored. Jessica Chastain is going to be maybe a bad guy. It seems like she's going to be a bad guy, or at least a uh, uh, wild card character. Um, We know she's been sort of mentoring Sophie Turner from an acting standpoint, which is phenomenal, both for the movie and just for Sophie Turner in general. Um, Storm will be back. Uh we are going to see a young Jean Grey. So it's, I mean, we're going to see Jean Grey's family. Like she, it's really going to be about her. Um, I'm not seeing uh, Moira. I'm not seeing Rose Byrne, which would be really disappointing. Um, but maybe they just have too many balls in the air. And I just hope they don't kill her off screen or say like, you know, we tried to have a relationship, but did it work out? God, this music's good. It's too bad Michael Kamen died so young, but at least he gave us this. And so much, so much other great music. Just great artistic work all around. Thank you guys for joining me. This was an absolute joy and pleasure, and look forward to more X Men coverage soon. And for now, the Bizzle is out. <laughs>